focused on the birth of Jesus from the perspective of Luke's gospel. You might have noticed that all the sermons were were based on uh, passages from Luke. Lots of memorable characters to grab and keep our attention. Mary and her Magnificat, Magnificat, John the Baptist jumping in Elizabeth's womb, the census that brings Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem, no room at the inn, dreams, the angels, the shepherds. But now that Christmas is over and Jesus has been born, Matthew tells the story of what happens after Jesus is born. The things that grab our attention in this story are not necessarily living characters. There's Mary, she's in this story, but she actually doesn't speak, and Joseph isn't even mentioned. No, the new stars are non-living things. There's a heavenly orb of light and three gifts. As for the heavenly orb of light, 20 years ago, before I was even on staff here, the star certainly captured my attention. I had heard that there were some astronomers who were trying to do a little research and figure out what that Christmas star might have been. And so I bought some astronomy software and you could, you could type in any coordinates on Earth, put in any time, and you could look at that day's or that night's sky. It was really cool, that was 20 years ago. I'm sure you could do that online now pretty easily. But I had heard that there was a possibility that that Christmas star could have been Halley's Comet, which happened around, which came around that time. There was a convergence of Jupiter and Venus that would have been a very bright vision in the sky. And also there was a supernova that happened around that time too. So I decided that I was gonna put this together and teach a Sunday school lesson about what the Christmas star might have been to the class that's now known as the Adkins Bowton class. And I pitched it to one of the teachers who the class is named after, Calista Adkins, when she was still here. And, and Calista never got back to me. Um, <laughs> so that lesson is now in a folder called Lessons That Were Never Meant To Be. It is ready to go, by the way, if anybody wants me to come to your class. But of course, what the star was is not the point at all. You might as well speculate on the genus and species of the burning bush. You might as well try to figure out what kind of shrubbery in the Middle East is especially impervious to fire. The point is that God breaks in and gets our attention sometimes and uses many different ways to point us to Jesus. But now, after reading this passage about the star and the three gifts at least 20 times in the last few weeks, I'm much more interested in the wise men and their three gifts, the magi. According to Matthew, they seem to be the first to learn about the birth of Jesus when they saw the star, and they're certainly the first Gentiles to come and visit Jesus and to tell about his birth. But who were they and where were they and when were they and how did they figure all this out? Tradition 
says that their names were Melchior, Balthazar, and Caspar. But the Bible, of course, doesn't name them. The Bible actually does not mention three wise men or three magi. Uh, the Bible just mentions three gifts. So I started thinking, what if there was a fourth magi? And what if his name was Carl? And what if Carl forgot his gift? So that when the gifts were presented, he stepped up and said, the frankincense is from both of us. <laughs> I totally identify with Carl. Also, wise men isn't even mentioned in the Bible. It's the word for magi or a magician or temple priest or astrologer. That's actually what, what the word means. So it's not even specified that they are men. It's just assumed. So I'm going to use the word magi, and you can imagine them as men or women. So how do we enter this story? What does it mean to seek Jesus, to gain access to God? And how does it happen? And should we bring gifts? I've been working on a project lately that has to do with some ministry outside of these walls, and it's very, very near and dear to my heart. And in talking with people that are already doing this type of ministry and that have leadership and expertise on how this happens, I've been haunted by a single question. What gifts do you bring to this? To this venture? To this work? I haven't had to answer that in over 16 years. That was when I was interviewing here for the position of recreation coordinator. And I'm not sure I had a good answer then either. What gifts do you bring? So what gifts did the Magi bring? Gold, frankincense, and, and myrrh? Uh, there are, and what do they mean? What, what, what is the meaning behind those gifts? Uh, why did they choose those three? There are a few theories out there. One is the symbolism theory. I've kind of called it this, but the fact that you can ascribe some symbolism to gold as a gift for a king. Frankincense, which was used in offerings and sacrifices, could be a gift that symbolized Jesus's divinity. Myrrh, which is an embalming oil for burial, could symbolize Jesus' humanity and port, point toward his eventual death. But that explanation is just a little too neat for me. Um, there's also the wise men theory. Uh, this theory is that the gifts represented more about the givers than the recipient. Where they were from, different parts of the East, who their family was, so they chose the gifts that suited them. But to be honest, I prefer the unwise men theory. And I came up with this one. This is the unwise men theory. The unwise men theory is that they are really just bad at choosing gifts for babies. I don't know if you've seen this cartoon. I saw it online somewhere the last few weeks. And 
It has a picture of three people. You can, all, you can definitely tell they were supposed to be the wise men, and they're carrying boxes. And the caption says, the wiser men. Okay? What gift do you think the wiser men were carrying to this newborn baby? Just say it out loud if you can think of it. Diapers. Diapers. Thank you. <laughs> no matter the quality or meaning, they brought gifts, presumably to gain access to this new king. Now, I try to be a careful reader when I read the Bible. I try to, to see the interesting insight that I hadn't seen before, or the hot take. So I cannot believe I missed this after reading the passage the first 19 times. But if you read closely, do you know what the Magi did with those gifts they showed up with? They set them aside and worshipped Jesus. It says, when they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They offered themselves first. I love that idea as we seek to follow Jesus, being willing to set our gifts aside and offer ourselves in service first. Stripped of our value, what we can do, the entire way we see the world. Employers, I still think it's a good idea for you to check out the gifts and talents of people you are interviewing or wanting to hire, but God's standards for service is a little lower. God works in willingness and availability, first and foremost. Take our deacons, for example, who are serving this morning, the ones who will be meeting tomorrow night, the ones who were ordained or installed. Do you think we, as a church, chose them for anything they particularly excel at? No. No offense, deacons. Did we choose them for their mental acuity or knowledge or expertise in theology? No. Again, no offense. Uh, it's their willingness and availability to be servant leaders. The word deacon comes from the Greek diakonos, which actually means servant. And the first qualification in our rules of church order for deacons is to have a heart for servant leadership. It actually says, in view of the example set by Jesus when he washed the disciples' feet. In our prayer for the deacons earlier, we ask that they may be filled with God's love, hunger for truth, and thirst after righteousness. There's nothing wrong with gifts and abilities, and they're going to use their gifts and abilities in serving this church for the rest of their term. But if your gifts and abilities are the way you see the world, there's less room for that love, for that hunger for truth, and for that righteousness that God offers us. There must be room for these things so that Jesus is the lens through which we see the kingdom of God. 
the Magi did another pretty cool thing. There's a book written by Barbara Brown Taylor called Home by Another Way. And the title is from a sermon that she did about the Magi this 25, 30 years ago. But it was from a sermon about the Magi and their encounter with baby Jesus. Because you know Herod asked them to return to him so that he could go find Jesus. But after leaving Jesus, they avoid Herod. And our text that Frank read earlier says, Having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Hence the title, Home by Another Way. After encountering Jesus, we are never the same. We see the world a little differently, a little more through the lens of Jesus, and anytime we truly set aside our gifts and offer ourselves first, whether it's worship or an interaction on the street or in a hospital, I believe we leave different. We go home by another way. I wonder where you will be led in 2020, where the first thing you do is set aside the gifts you carry around to make room for God, God's gift to you. I bet you will start to see the world a little closer to the way God sees it. And just like the Magi, you might go home by another way too. This church continually seeks to find Jesus. We do it individually. We do it as a congregation, as a family of faith. If you've been visiting this church and you would like to attach your individual journey to seeking and following Jesus to this church, to this family of faith, this is the time to do it. As we stand for our hymn of invitation, number 91, if you'd like to join with this church, I will meet you down front and introduce you to the congregation.